You're listening to the Nicene Creed, a Lenten podcast series from Covenant Shreveport, a church on a mission to declare and demonstrate the gospel in all of life. Learn more about us at covenantshreveport.org. Hey everyone, welcome to the Nicene Creed. My name's Weston Brown. In this podcast, we're digging into a historic statement of Christian faith that comes out of the early church in the 300s AD. And today we're going to be looking at the so-called Council of Nicaea, which was the first ever gathering of the worldwide church. Before we talk about that, though, each week we begin our time together by reading the creed. And my encouragement is that you will make a point of memorizing the creed as a spiritual practice during this Lenten season. You can find a copy of this at the link in our show notes below. Here we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So last week we explored the nature of the creeds and why they exist. Today, we're going to talk about the circumstances that led to the formation of the Nicene Creed in particular. And to help us do that, we need to take a look at the church in the early 300s AD. You may be familiar with the nature of the early church in the New Testament, but if you're not, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the church is largely a decentralized movement of Christ followers who are gathering in homes and sharing their resources. At that stage, outside of the apostles, there wasn't much in the way of formal clergy within the church. By the end of the book of Acts, though, what originally began in Jerusalem through the ministry of the apostles had quickly expanded to the rest of the Mediterranean world, largely through the efforts of the apostle Paul. And even though it was still largely decentralized, And it can be difficult for us to get a sense of what church leadership looked like immediately after the apostles. The beginnings of a leadership structure can be seen in the pages of the book of Acts, such as in Acts 15 with what is called the Jerusalem Council. 
After the time of the apostles, though, the leadership structure of the church does begin to develop into a more obvious hierarchy. The word that describes this framework that develops is the word episcopate. Unlike a modern American evangelical model, Christian churches in the first centuries after Christ were not necessarily autonomous, but instead local church elders would ultimately come to fall under the leadership of bishops, men who were ordained as overseers of church communities within a particular city or region. Many of the church fathers who came after the time of the apostles, who are still talked about today, were bishops. This includes people like Augustine, Bishop of Hippo in Northern Africa, who you might know as St. Augustine, or men like Athanasius, who was the bishop of the city of Alexandria in Egypt, and who was a significant figure at the Council of Nicaea. It's also worth pointing out that there were really no formal church divisions or denominations at this time. In other words, there was no Roman Catholic Church as we know it today. The church in Rome certainly existed, but it was not a fully separate, self-governing unit. Additionally, even though there was a bishop of Rome, that person would not actually come to be called the Pope until the latter half of the 4th century. There also was no Eastern Orthodox Church as we know it today. Additionally, it would still be 1,192 years before Martin Luther would begin what is known as the Protestant Reformation. Instead, there was essentially one worldwide church. Sure, cultural and even theological divisions existed. For example, early on, there were clear distinctions between the culture of the Church of the Western Roman Empire, centered in the city of Rome, and the culture of the Church of the Eastern Roman Empire, centered in places like Alexandria in Egypt and Antioch in Syria. But there was no formal separation until hundreds of years later with what is known as the Great Schism in 1054 AD. Despite the fact that there were no formal divisions within the church, it also wasn't the case that church leadership often came together to set policy or discuss doctrine. During the age of persecution, this just wasn't really possible. However, that all changed in 313 when the Roman Emperor Constantine came to power and issued the Edict of Milan, which legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. It would, however, still be 67 more years before Christianity would actually become the official state religion of Rome. But Constantine's reign signaled a major shift. While historians still debate whether or not Constantine himself was actually a Christian or just a savvy politician, we do know that he was baptized shortly before he died. He also convened the First Council of Nicaea. Nicaea was a town in what is today northwestern Turkey. Today the city is called Eisnik, but it was the site of the first council of the worldwide church. This gathering of Christian leaders from across the Roman Empire had as its goal establishing a uniform code of orthodox doctrine. As we said in a previous episode, heresies, or false teachings, 
were prevalent during this time, and without a uniform code of doctrine, it was difficult for the church to address heresy in a consistent manner, or in some cases, even provide official explanation for why a teaching was false. In particular, the heresy that was in front of the Council of Nicaea was called Arianism. It was named after its primary proponent, a church elder from Alexandria in Egypt named Arius. Arius claimed that Jesus was, in fact, not God, but rather a being that God had created. This false teaching was taking root within many groups and causing a good bit of turmoil within the church, which created political challenges for Constantine. Next week, we'll take a deeper look at Arius and the nature of his teaching. The actual Council of Nicaea was quite an event. Constantine was present in his imperial splendor and even participated in discussions, despite not being a baptized Christian at the time. At this point in history, there were somewhere around 1,800 Christian bishops within the Roman Empire. All were invited, but only somewhere between 250 to 320 actually attended. And many of them were from the Eastern Church, where the Arian controversy was especially centered. For example, the Bishop of Rome didn't even attend the council, even though he sent delegates in his place. Each bishop, though, was allowed to bring multiple church leaders and deacons along with them, so the actual gathering probably numbered in excess of 1,500 people. While the Arian issue was the primary subject of debate, the council also sought to rule on a number of other issues, including the celibacy of clergy, which was actually not approved, and a uniform metric for determining the date of Easter each year. The council met for roughly one month and at the end produced a creed known as the Nicene Creed. This original creed was shorter than the one that we recited just a minute ago and ended with the words, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. It would not be until the Council of Constantinople in 381 that a more robust Nicene Creed, known officially as the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, would be produced. We'll look at that in a future episode. Next time, we'll begin digging into the content of the second section of the Creed, which concerns Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. <laughs>